I'm Amanda Olberg, Managing Editor of Education Next. We invite you to join this week's Education Next podcast, available online Wednesday morning each week at educationnext.org. In the state of Massachusetts, a major new charter proposal has been advanced by Governor Charlie Baker, uh, but it has generated uh, what some people call a civil war. And uh, I have with me today, here on the Education Next podcast, uh, Jim Sturgis uh, of the Pioneer Institute, executive director there. I'm Paul Peterson, editor-in-chief of Education Next. Uh, Jim, I have a question for you. What is exactly the proposal the governor has initiated. Paul, it's really good to be with you. And um, the proposal is pretty simple. <clears throat> We've got about 34,000 kids on wait lists in Massachusetts for charter schools. And they are by uh, Harvard and Duke University, MIT, Stanford, anybody's analysis, they are either among the most powerful charter schools in the country or the very, very best. Um, so Well, I think the data show that kids are going on to college if they go to one of these schools as compared to if they hadn't won the lottery and gotten in. That's pretty good evidence that they're doing their job. Oh, they really are. And I think one of the Stanford studies showed that um, Massachusetts, uh, Boston charter schools in particular, were providing about 23 months of learning in mathematics and 21 months of learning in English language arts in a single academic year. So more than two times the amount of learning in the Boston public schools. So of course, the there are studies out there that show that some of the charters in Massachusetts, maybe out in the uh, rur more rural areas of the state, aren't doing quite so well. Is that is that true, too? That, that, that's absolutely true. They do outcompete the district schools, but not at the same pace as the Boston charter schools. And um, what the, the Baker proposal would do is to allow for the creation of 12 new schools every year, plus expansions of existing schools. We've got about 70-plus charter schools here in the state of Massachusetts, about 40,000 kids in them. So you'd probably expect something on the order of about 8,000 seats a year. So basically within a four-year period, you could clear out the wait list and, and as we've seen over and over again, every time there's a charter school cap lift, frankly, once parents see what they're capable of, those wait lists get longer and longer. So it would all, uh, create a mechanism to um, continue to serve in an incremental way and increase the population that's served by charter schools to the point where parents don't need them anymore. So if the wait list should grow, then there could be still more charter schools established or the existing ones could expand still further. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Now, you know, there's um, the, the wrinkle here uh, in Massachusetts is that the Senate has been sort of a, a bastion of opposition to, to charter schools, and uh, that's currently where a lot of the, the civil war is taking place, Paul. Yeah, well, <laughs> they passed a bill, haven't they, that's sort of an alternative to the, the governor's proposal? Yeah, you know, it's, they, they've, they've, uh, they've billed the bill as a compromise. It's sort of a compromise between the anti-charter school folks and the really, really anti-charter school folks. <laughs> Um, and, and the bill so is. So, what does this do? What does the Senate bill do? Well, the Senate bill basically doesn't guarantee any new charter school seats. Uh, so, just to give you a couple of uh, elements in there, um, we have something um, after the the advent of the charter school movement in the 1990s. The teachers unions in Boston created something called pilot schools, which were to 
kind of emulate charter schools, but with lots of strings attached still. Well, the studies of these pilot schools haven't shown that they're so great. That's, that's what I recall reading. You recall very well. In fact, um, there are some good, really good charter, uh, pilot schools, excuse me, um, but you have also some data that shows the middle school pilot schools are, I wouldn't say a disaster, but they actually underperform even the district schools. So there's something called pilot schools, innovation schools. There are lots of different categories that unions have trotted out to try and, quote, unquote, emulate charter schools, but they've never performed nearly at the level. But this new bill would basically say, well, there could be some charter school seats, but if there are innovation schools or pilot schools that come instead of them, well, there will be no charter school seats. Well, so the innovation schools, pilot schools, will trump they, to, to, to coin a phrase, yes, they would. Well, well Trump, <laughs> uh, the charter schools and the Senate bill. They could, and you could just imagine how this would work, uh, which is if there's a charter proposal, immediately people would trot on a new innovation school. And in fact, the Senate bill says that now localities can vote on whether a charter school can move forward or not, which is, has never been the case in Massachusetts before. It's always been a state-driven process. But it's, it's also, you know, what I would call it sort of the revenge of the Lilliputians. They have all kinds of new strings they're attaching to charter schools, telling them exactly the kind of people they should have on their boards, uh, telling them exactly how to undertake discipline, um, uh, telling them all different aspects of their operations, how they should be more similar to the district schools. And this well, undermines the whole I've seen some of that process. happen already. Uh, one charter school principal or director told me that some of the original directors of the school who had built the school, had generated all the resources of the school, were told they could no longer serve because they'd served too long. So that's, that's already happening to charter schools, isn't it? It is, but it, this is much more explicit uh, about the kinds of people you have to have on your, your boards as well. But it really cuts across the entire range of how a charter school works. And uh, it is, if you will, anathema really to the original concept of charters, which was you're going to have a higher level of accountability, but we're going to give you lots more flexibility to manage yourself, to manage your money, manage your people. As well, well, Pioneer was the uh, organization that generated the charter schools in Massachusetts. Isn't that one of Pioneer's greatest uh, contributions? I would say it is one of our greatest contributions and probably the thing we're most proud of because we actually have 40,000 kids every single year that do extremely well and go on to college. And, you know, these are, these are very powerful schools. And all of this could come to an end if the Senate, or at least be severely constrained, if the Senate bill could go through. Now, is the House going to pass the Senate bill? I don't think it stands a chance in the House. The House has much stronger uh, support for charter schools. And in fact, the Speaker of the House, I think, recognized within his district, he has some incredible schools like the XL Charter Academy. Um, there's also some, if you will, bad blood between the Senate and the House. There was a debate over charter schools about two years ago. The House put forward a bill, did not go through the usual process, and kind of tried to, to circumvent the Senate. The Senate sought to punish them publicly by voting down their bill and creating a worse bill and then voting that one down as well. I don't think we should expect um, any kind of good cooperative effort uh, with the Senate on this. Uh, and frankly, look, the, the governor so would never it, support then this. So then everything uh, dies. So then the, the uh, governor's proposal is going to die because it can't get the two houses of the legislature to agree. But there's some way in which the voters can end up deciding this. What, how does that play into it? Massachusetts has a, a, um, a ballot initiative process. And already there have been the signatures gathered for at least the first two steps of that process, one further process of 
um, getting 11,000 more signatures, but they've already gotten 70-plus thousand signatures to put essentially the governor's bill on the ballot. Uh, and the uh, polling on this, Paul, is extremely strong in favor of charter schools. I believe the last polls I saw, two of them, one was 50-plus percent pro, 21 percent against, and then a second poll that was about 70 percent plus pro-charter expansion, and only about 20% Well, against. that matches our polls that we take at Education Next. We see, on the whole, two-to-one support for charters over opposition to charters, though there's a big undecided there as well. So you, we have a lot of undecided, but we see two-to-one in favor. So why don't the charter people just let this roll forward, or is it our elections a little more complicated than that? Well, elections always are more complicated than that, and uh, what I'd say is um, the, the charter folks probably have, I would guess, have no other choice but to move forward on this. It will be an extremely expensive campaign. I've heard numbers around potentially even near to $30 million potentially spent by the two sides on the process. That's very expensive for a small now, state. Now, is this going to come out in November with November. a presidential election? That's right, and it's complicated by that. We are a, uh, a blue state. And there may be some party line votes, uh, and I think that um, in that party line process, the teachers unions play a very, a very big role. Uh, so that means they will be highly activated. Um, but there's a lot of support within the Democratic Party for charters. Charters is not doesn't divide the political parties like vouchers does. No, you're extremely you're, you're right. You're right on. I don't just give you one example of how how. Uh, much this cuts both for and against Democratic um, politicians who oppose charters. The the Senate lead, the the chair of the the Joint Committee on the Senate side on, on education, is a woman named Sonia Chang Diaz. She's been a fervent anti-charter person. She generally in the polls has been more or less 60 plus percent favorable in terms of people's views of her, and only you know 10 percent against her. Well, if you think about the support in her district for charters, it's the reverse. Uh, so when people go to the polls, I think the Democratic Party, where where it opposes charters, may be in for a rude uh, surprise. And I think that the, the support for charters probably is a lot more um, consistent than most people think. So it's not going to be a civil war. That, that's talking a little bit over the top. Yes. But it, it does sound like we're going to have a lot of controversy and uh, it's going to come down to what the voters decide, and let's hope the voters are properly informed. Uh, are you confident about that? Can the message get through to the public as to how well the charters are doing? I, I think so. If, if, the, if the message can't come through here in Massachusetts, I don't know where it comes through. We have a very, very successful charter school sector. And, and Massachusetts is a place that actually believes in fairness, deeply in fairness. And there's nothing that goes cuts more to the core of fairness and making sure that every kid has access to a good education. It's in our state constitution. It has been for 200 and what, 35 years since John Adams wrote it. Um, it's a core part of who we are here. So um, I would hope that at least here in Massachusetts, on a ballot initiative, a popular process, the charter schools can win the day. Well, on the other side, uh, in rural areas, people really love their public schools. And in suburban areas, there's a lot of satisfaction. They think that at least in my neighborhood, my school is good. It may not be, but that's what people think in suburban areas. 
won't the public school people be able to say, look, at your, if we support the charters like this, it's going to undercut support for our own local public schools? That, that'll be the argument that they make, but the ballot initiative is not a, again, it's for 12 new schools. It's very incremental. And the second piece of it is it's targeted at the lowest performing district. So uh, the folks who are in suburban school districts that they are proud of, uh, they really would not be highly affected by this. Um, and, and frankly, the urban voters want more, they want access to more good schools, and that is clear in all the polling. So there is a, uh, a good possibility we can um, make it through the ballot initiative. Though frankly, I would love to see adults in the state house actually think about the well-being of kids and make the right choices there. That would be the, the optimal solution, but it doesn't seem like we're there, Paul. Well, thank you, Jim. This has been a very enlightening conversation. Uh, thank you very much for joining for me on it's our nice podcast. I've been speaking with Jim Sturgis, uh, Executive Director of the Pioneer Institute here in Boston, Massachusetts. Thank you for tuning in to Education Next's weekly podcast, released every Wednesday morning. For more on education reform, visit us online, educationnext.org.